You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. All right, this this summer series is big. It is epic. In fact, it takes eight books of the Bible to cover the ground that we are flying over. These eight different books of the Bible that tell this story are found in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. First uh, Chronicles, Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, all of these eight are encompassing of the great epic story of just the three kings that we're talking about. Now, in the early days of Israel, they had no king. They were managed by judges, people that basically came up and got them back on track. God was to be their king. But then they said, no, we want to be like everybody else. We're afraid of those that want to attack us. We demand a king. So they got a king. And this is the tale of those early kings. This is the early days of Israel's monarchy. Saul was the first one. He started off great. But soon he began to drift from God. And within two years, God impeached him as king. But he still sat on the throne for 38 years. But God was silent for all 38 of them. Saul and the prophet Samuel, who was leading the spiritual charge at that time, parted angrily and stopped talking to each other. And they never saw each other again after he was impeached by God. God is now silent. Saul begins to fall into depression, rage, anger, insanity, murder. And as we find out today, he even falls into the occult. So a new king is chosen. And 25 years later, after that impeachment, a young shepherd boy becomes a hero in the rally in the valley against David, uh, with David and against Goliath. He returns. He leaves a shepherd boy bringing pimento cheese sandwiches to his brothers. And he returns a warrior, a hero, and he becomes a national figure. David is welcomed uh, as the hero and he becomes a kind of an assistant to Saul. He becomes a guy who moves into the palace and is Saul's personal musician because David was a bit of a rock star. He could play a mean electric harp. And he also was the one who buffed and ironed and carried his armor for him. He was his armor bearer. And over the course of 10 years, David became an ultra superhero brave warrior. Every time there was an issue to be solved in the land, David led the charge. So he was a musician. He was a warrior. He was a close confidant of the king, and the king was getting more and more jealous and angry of David, not knowing that David had been anointed king, but assuming the possibility he was the one. As his rage and his jealousy got bigger, David became really close friends with an unlikely person, the king's son named Jonathan. In fact, they became best friends. Even though they were 27 years apart in age, they became very, very close. They began to rely upon each other. And what you're going to see today is the story unfolds. As Saul spirals into insanity and jealousy during this time, Jonathan becomes close friends. And not only does he become close friends with the king's son, but he marries the king's daughter. David marries Saul's daughter. Look at this in 1 Samuel 18, 12. It says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. After failed attempts to get David killed, 
Because basically he says, David, I hate you, but everybody loves you. So I'm going to do what looks like a noble thing and give you charge over many thousands of men. And I hope you go out and die in battle. And each time he sent David out to die, David came back in valor, a warrior, a winner. And at one point he came back and he married Saul's daughter. In chapter 18, verse 20, it says, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter, Michael, loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy the rest of his life, the rest of his days. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers and his name became well known. So as Saul is going more and more crazy, David is making his way into the hearts of people that he loved, like his son and his daughter. What follows is Saul's jealousy, Jonathan's loyalty, and Michael's love. Both John and Michael work to save David's life from their crazy father. That's what we're going to pick it up right now in 1 Samuel 19, verse 1, David runs. Today's message is called Man on the Run. So, uh, so Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Just straight up, kill him, right? But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him. He said, my father, Saul, was looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay. So, so David runs off. And as they're sitting there for dinner, Jonathan's like, David is an awesome guy. He starts really laying on with his dad. Man, David's so awesome. He's loyal. He's a great soldier. He's always been faithful to you. So Saul's like, okay, okay, I won't kill him. So David returns. And then as David is playing his electric carp in the presence of Saul, an evil spirit, the Bible says in verse 9, comes uh, from the Lord, comes on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. And while David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. I like the way that's it. Pin him to the wall. You know, you can see that. You know, you can kind of see it. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made a good escape. So David runs. Saul says, I'm sorry, come home. So David comes back. And then he tries to kill him. So David runs. And this is what happened. I love this, the way that he escaped. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. All right, we're going to hang outside of his house. And when he comes out, you know, knife him. But Michael, David's wife, warned him. He says, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow, you'll be killed. So Michael let David down through a window and he fled and escaped. I mean, this is like right out of a movie. And what's next is like totally out of some sort of movie. He says this, then Michael took an idol and laid it in the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat hair on the head. So basically she made a fake David, you know, Ferris Bueller had nothing on, on this, on that whole idea. It came right out of the Bible right here. When Saul sent the men to capture David, Michael says, he's ill. He's like Ferris Bueller's day off. David's day off. Here we go. He's sick. He's ill. (coughs) Push the cough button. Then Saul told them, bring him to me in his bed so that I may kill him. He's like, well, then bring him sick. Put him on a cot. Drag him here. I want him dead. But when the men entered, I love this. There was the idol in the bed and the head with some goat's hair. <laughs> it's like, so they like, get him. And then when they pull the blanket back, say, what? You know, and Michael's like over there going, ah, David, yeah, run, baby, run. Right? Run, 
run, David, run. You got to put that in there when. So David runs, David returns, David runs again. This time he runs to an old friend in Ramah. His name is Samuel. So he runs to Samuel and so it begins. See if you hear this. There we go. I put together a little soundtrack for today's message. This is one of them. So David runs to the prophet Samuel's house because he needed some direction. And Sam was the man of God. He said, Sam, I need direction. So Sam uh, basically prays for him. They see God together. And Saul hears that David is hanging out at Sam's house. So David is uh, in pursuit, uh, is, is being pursued by Saul's men. This is kind of funny. Uh, a group shows up at Samuel's house, and when they get to Samuel's house, before they can get to the house where David's at, they start prophesying. They start praising God and calling out the praises of God. And so Saul sends a second group, and they get there. They start prophesying and calling out the praises of God. Saul sends a third group. They get there. They start prophesying and calling out to God. So Saul says, forget it. I'm going to come now and kill David myself. And guess what happens to Saul? He shows up at Saul's house. He rips his clothes off and runs around naked prophesying. I think the other three groups had it better than Saul personally. It's crazy. So he goes out there. Look at this verse 23. So Saul went to Naoth at Ramah. That's where Sam's house was. But the spirit of God came even on him. And he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. And he stripped off his garments And he too prophesied in Samuel's presence and he lay naked all day and all night. (laughs) Isn't that how God, you know, does that sort of, not that he likes, you know, makes you naked, but what he does is he embarrasses your foolishness. You know, when you somehow think that you can override God, God says, I'm going to embarrass you because you cannot come up against me. Well, at this point, Saul goes back embarrassed and he kind of lets David come home. But David's a little afraid, but David does return again. Jonathan then meets with David and the two of them, they basically become blood brothers. They make a vow of commitment that they will never, never, never hurt each other and that they love each other. David says, I will make sure that nothing ever happens to your home, to your family, and to your house. David doesn't show up at a banquet. And Jonathan says, you know what? Don't come to dinner tonight and we'll see if my dad still wants to kill you. Well, when he doesn't show up to dinner, Saul breaks into a rage and Jonathan begins to defend David. And this is what happens. Verse 30 says, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. He says, you basically remember Jonathan's defending David. Saul hates David. So he says this, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, his son. And he said, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Sounds like some of y'all's arguments. It says, uh, Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame, to the shame of the mother who bore you? Man, he's like bringing his mom into this. Nothing hurts or affects somebody when you start talking about my mama. You know what I'm saying? He's like, you know, your mama bought me my wife, one of many wives, but your mama, you know. So this is like the early beginnings of the your mama uh, jokes attacks. He says, as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, Neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. So this is the third time that Saul threw a spear at somebody. I'm like, three times. He's a horrible shot. 
Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. I thought this was interesting. A spear like, boing, 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 and he's like, you're trying to kill David. I'm like, Jonathan, hello, he's trying to kill you. So he says, Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. On that second day of the feast, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. I think this is interesting. See, Jonathan had a great heart, and that is why Jonathan and David were so close. They had very similar hearts. He was not worried about his own well-being. He was concerned about his deep friendship with David and loved David. Jonathan had a secret meeting with David later that day and warned him. It was kind of cool how they had that meeting. It's in the Bible. You should check it out. But when they finally met, they met together secretly. David got up from the south side of the stone, verse 41, and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together. They kissed each other on the cheeks, very customary, very typical. To, in fact, uh, to this day, in certain parts of the world, you still greet each other with kisses. It says, um, so they kissed each other, but David wept the most. Isn't this intense? I mean, they're, they're loving on each other. They're hugging each other. They're friends. They're kissing each other on the cheeks. They're, and, and they're both weeping, but it says David wept the most. Man, he's a softy. And he loves Jonathan. He loves that household. He's, John, David's just trying to do what God wants him to do. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me. And between your descendants and my descendants forever, then David left and Jonathan went back to town. And so David begins to run again. David becomes a wanted man, a fugitive, wanted, not dead or alive, but wanted dead. So I want to talk to you about this man on the run. What we're going to do for the next couple of minutes is we're going to follow about five or six chapters of the Bible. And we're going to see David running 12 places in, uh, in just a couple of minutes. We're going to put a map up. We're going to, this is kind of the region. Uh, go back up one. This is the region uh, that we're talking about. This is the Middle East. This is the Mediterranean. There's Italy, the boot, right? In case you're not sure, where in the world is this? Um, over here with the circle, that's where Israel is. There's a lot going down right now in Israel. And uh, it's kind of like if you were to like draw a line from the center and then of what's happening in the history of the world. This is the epicenter of the history of the world. This is where it all began. And uh, many believe this is where it's all going to finalize as well. This is the story of Israel's first three kings. And David is considered the greatest king that Israel ever had. And it's, they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, when Jesus came back, he came to fulfill the messianic promises of David. And Jesus did fulfill it. He didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. He set up to... Uh, to to bring us into a heavenly kingdom. And his uh, kingdom is not based in a location on earth. It's based on a location in our heart. It's not a tabernacle built by man on some temple mount, but it's a tabernacle of our heart, for we are the temple of God. It is not to redeem the stones of the law written on tablets, but to redeem the law now written on our heart. And and But the, the Jewish people, they, they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So you know what they're looking looking for they're looking for a messiah who will be like david and to this day the messiah that they cry out for is a king like david who basically does what david does has the heart and the passion that david has but david is on the run 
from a king that is losing his mind. And this is what happens. The first place David runs, we already talked about, is David runs to Ramah. It's the home of Samuel. He goes there to, to meet with Samuel, to pray with Samuel, to get some guidance from God. The second place is David then runs to a place called Nob. Nob is the place where the tabernacle is sitting. Even though the Ark of Covenant is in hiding, that's the place where the tabernacle was. It wasn't in, Israel, uh, wasn't in Jerusalem at the time. It was in Nob. And there was a priest there. His name was Amalek. And, and uh, David and, and uh, Amalek were close friends. And he gets there and he says, I need some prayer. I need to seek God. We need to, we need to see what God wants for me. And, and he says, I'm hungry. So Amalek gives him uh, bread. And then he says, I need some weapons. And Amalek says, the only weapon I have is the sword of Goliath. So David's only weapon is the sword of the giant that he had brought down. So imagine that, this big old massive sword in the hand of David. And then he runs to a place called Gath. And Gath is basically the home of Goliath. Gath is the place of the Philistines. It is not the place uh, where you want to go if you're uh, a Hebrew person, if you're from David's family. Uh, And he gets to Gath and he basically hopes to blend in. He goes to the town of Goliath and their hero that was killed by the Israelites and he's hiding the sword of Goliath in his clothing, and he gets captured. He tries to blend in like a stranger, you know, hood on, just like Lord of the Rings are trying to, you know, they're trying to hide. But he didn't run good enough because they caught him. And when they caught him, guess what he does to get out of trouble? He pretends that he's insane. You couldn't make this up. This is right in the Bible. So here's Jesus. I'm sorry. Here's David. He gets caught by the Philistines in Gath. And he's like, ah, 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 ah. You know, he's like, come here, come here. Ah, birds. Ah, did you see that? He starts acting insane. And they go, we don't want a crazy man here. So they, they believe that insanity is, is like a demonic spirit. So they basically kick him out of the town. So if you could write this, I would love to see this. I would love to see this acted out. Here's what I think is interesting is that some of you are trying like David in Gath to blend in with people you shouldn't be blending in with. And you, if you are called to be different as a Christian, you are, if you're trying to blend in, you'll never fit in. And eventually you'll drive everybody crazy. Something to think about. So here goes David. He's on the run again. This time he hits the road and he runs. And uh, as he runs, he runs to a place called Adulam, soundtrack for a run. He's running, he's running. Any of you guys know these songs here? This soundtrack for run, Sound, soundtrack of David's run. All right, if you're over 35, you know these songs. You're going to know one of these songs. You might know of the Flock of Seagulls song, but uh, you might know one of these coming up here in a minute. So he goes to Adulam and he's hiding out in a cave outside of town. And he realizes that Saul's going to kill his family. So he calls for his family. Uh, so they come to him and this is, this is, uh, this is amazing. This is amazing. Uh, Tolkien actually took parts of Lord of the Rings right out of David's story. He says in first Samuel 22, verse one, David left Gath and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. Uh, when his brothers and his uh, father's household heard of it, they went down to him there. Uh, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. And he became their commander. About 400 men 
were with David. David became basically like a, an ancient Robin Hood of his ragtag group of outcasts, people who were on run from the law, people who were poor, people who were discontented, people who were, you know, angry at the conditions of their nation. Uh, They were drawn to his valor. They were drawn to his wisdom. They trusted him to save them from their trouble, and they pledged allegiance to David. He was the, the captain of a group of outlaws. I mean, this is, this is better than Bonnie and Clyde. This is better than Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. This is, this is better than Robin Hood because David had a pure heart. He didn't have a heart of malice or anger. He had a heart that we see closely related to the heart of Jesus. So David runs again. This time he runs to another enemy land in Moab, a place called Mizpah. And in Moab, uh, he basically goes to this enemy king, the king of Moab, and he says, can you give shelter to my family? The king does give them shelter and he sets them up in a home. But then a prophet named Gad, he comes to David and says, you need to run. You need to run because Saul is coming to get you. So he runs and he leaves again. There we go. There's the part you got to realize this part here. Got to love the 80s. Couldn't get away. This is kind of where David is right now. Because back at Saul's place, this is interesting. This is sad. Saul is losing his mind. And he receives word that the prophet Amalek had helped out David, giving him food and giving him Goliath's sword. So he calls Amalek into his presence because he's ready to rough up Amalek for what he did. And this is what he says in verse 13 of uh, chapter 22. Saul said to Amalek, he said, why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse, talking about David, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and he lies in wait as he does today. He's trying to kill me. I know it. And I love this. Amalek answered, who of all your servants is as loyal as David? The king's son-in-law. He says, this is your own family. He says, captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your household. That means he's talking about how Jonathan and David are close. He says, he's your son-in-law. He's your son's best friend. He's fought many battles in your name and support and encourage you. Why in the world? He says, what uh, was this day the first day I inquired of God for him? Of course not. He says, man, it's not the first time I've ever prayed and sought God for him. And it won't be the last day I prayed and sought God for him. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. But the king said, you'll surely die, Amalek, you and your whole family. But the king said, you're going to die. And then this, the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. And this is the insanity of Saul. You know what Saul did? He slaughtered every single priest in the kingdom. He killed 85 ministers that day, 85 priests of the Lord. And then he went to Nob and he killed every man, woman, child, infant, 
every living creature in that town of Nob. He murdered, slaughtered. It was a massacre, and he burned the town to the ground, all because Amalek sought the Lord for David. Saul is losing his mind. Only one person escaped from that town, and it was the son of Amalek, and he went and ran to David, and basically David had the only the only person who is a descendant of the Levites, the only Levite alive, the only priest running around with him. So God was with David. So David then hears about this and he runs from Moab and he runs to a place called Kilah, which is a mountain forest. Not to escape Saul, but to rescue a village who's under attack by the Philistines. So he gathers his ragtag team now, grown from 400 to 600, and he shows up. I like this song. You can turn this one up a little bit. This is my favorite one in the whole bunch. You guys turn up a little bit. Mm. Gotta love me some Michael McDonald. All right. So they're running, and they uh, they get to basically that place, and they rescue this whole town. They rescue this whole town from devastation. And just as they're about to settle in, they hear from God. God tells David that Saul is heard that they're there and that he's coming to kill them. So they go on the run again. So this time David runs again back into the desert to a place called Ziph. Got to love that place. Ziph. And while he's hiding there, he gets an unlikely visit. And it comes to a place where an outlaw meets with the king's son. Chapter 23, verse 14. David stayed in the wilderness and the strongholds in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him but God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find his strength in the Lord. I love this because here's this image of David just beat down. I mean, he's running, he's running, he's running, he's running. Everything is just go, 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 go. He never gets a break. He never gets a rest. Every time he feels like he gets to breathe, every time he does something right, I mean, he goes and he rescues this town. It's a victory. And then he has to run. He doesn't even get a chance to relish in the good things that God is using him in. He's running. And then here comes his best friend, Jonathan. And I love how it says that. It says, and he helped him find strength in the Lord. They talked together. They prayed together. Jonathan encouraged him in the Lord. They hugged. They said goodbye, and this was to be the very last time that they ever saw each other again. After that, David runs again, and this uh, this time he runs to a place called Moan. Now, Saul, on a tip, hears that David is in Moan, so he sends 3,000 men to capture David and his 600 men. So David is being chased. They're in hot pursuit in the mountains of Moan, And just as they were about to attack and kill David and his men, they receive a message that the Philistines are attacking nearby and they have to run off. And in these mountain caves that David was hiding in, he wrote many of the beautiful Psalms that we read that describe God as a rock of refuge. He's in these rocks in these mountains of Moan. As God is protecting him against his enemy, he sees this picture of the Messiah. He sees who we know as Jesus in the rock of our refuge. Just as Saul is closing in, they chase off the Philistines nearby. 
And David escapes and they keep on running. And they keep on running. You might know this song if you were, I don't know, 20 something. Who knows this song? Who knows? Who listens to country? All right, there's a few of you. This is Sugarland. We run. So they run and they run and they run and they run. It never seems to stop. This time, David runs to the desert again, to a place called En Gedi. And when he's in En Gedi, Saul returns again with 3,000 men to kill him. And as they're camping out one night, guess who stumbles upon Saul? David. And this is what happens. One of the obscure, strange stories. In chapter 24, verse 3, it says, He came to the sheep pens along the way, a cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, some translations say he went into rest, but actually it means he went in to go to the bathroom. That's why there was nobody with him. That's why there wasn't it. So here's Saul. He goes into a cool, dark place to relieve himself. He's in a cave. He's going to the bathroom. And David and his men were far back in the cave. So can you imagine? They're in there sleeping. You know, they start hearing noises. Somebody says, that sounds like King Saul. <laughs> and the guys that are asleep and go, all right, who, who let one? You know, they're like, they're smelling because they're in the cave. There's no way to escape. <laughs> my wife's going to get me in trouble later on. I got myself in trouble. So Saul goes in to relieve himself in the cave that they were hiding in. What are the chances? There's nothing more vulnerable than when you're going to the restroom. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands and for you to deal with him as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, just think about that for a minute. Saul's relieving himself and David's crawling up. he's He's on the ground. He's like cutting off the robe, right? And Saul doesn't even notice. It's probably he's into his magazine or whatever. He's, he's not paying attention, but even this action convicted David, and he felt bad, and he repented to his friends. He repented to his men. Then David went out of the cave, and he called out to Saul, and he said, he said, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down, prostrated before him. So that means he laid face down on the ground with his face to the ground, and he said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David has been on a harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in this cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared your life. I said, I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. He then holds up the piece of his robe and he says, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. The Lord knows my heart. I would never hurt you. And this is interesting. Saul then begins to weep and cry and respond with tears. And I believe this was the song that went through David's mind. Turn this up a little bit. This part right here. This is David's part. Now, four minutes. Saul's in tears going, David, I'm sorry. Forgive me. David's like, not for a minute. Not for a minute do I believe what you're saying. So basically, David takes it on the run again. David's not by the Saul's not trying to kill him. Saul goes home only to return again to kill him later. And David continues on the run. Shortly after this, David hears the news that Samuel, his spiritual leader, dies. 
And it's at this time, and Samuel never gets to see David become king. The next place he runs to is he runs back to the desert of Moan. And here, God miraculously provides for David's men food and nourishment and, and weapons. And David marries a woman named Abigail. Hearing Saul had again brought thousands of troops to kill him, they run again from Moan. This time they run back to a place called, you heard of it before, called Ziph. And there David sneaks up on Saul again, who is sleeping this time. And this time he takes a water jug and his spear. And then he says, Saul from across the field again. I could have killed you. I've got your spear and your water jug that you sleep next to. And I did not kill you. Why do you insist? And I can't think it's kind of funny. Saul has like this, like this soldier, this bodyguard that's with him. And before he calls out to Saul, he calls out to the bodyguard and says, look what I got. You know, he kind of, he taunts the bodyguard. What kind of bodyguard are you? Where were you at? He actually, it's in there. It's kind of funny. You got to relish in your victory sometimes. So he says, Saul, man, I didn't, I didn't ever, ever have any ill will against you. Saul again says, I'm sorry. And David keeps on running. There we go. Keep running against the wind. So David runs, and it seems like David's never going to get a break. He's just running and running and running and running. He's a man on the run. He's the running man. He's just trying to trust God. He's trying to be good. He's trying to be faithful. He's trying to honor those who are in authority over him. And he's always in run for his life. So this is the last place he runs to. And he runs back to his enemy territory of the Philistines to Gath. And he becomes friends with his enemy. He becomes friends with the Philistines. And he asks if his men can live there in peace. And they give him an entire town called Ziklag. And they all move, all 600 men and their families and David finally come to the end of their running in a place called Ziklag. After four years of running... It comes to an end, and David ends up living in the land of the Philistines for four years, attacking all the enemies of Israel and then coming back home. That's how he makes his living, by attacking the enemies and coming back home. And I want you to know this, and this is something, kind of a footnote to the lesson here, is that God will use the most unlikely things in your life to move you forward. You know, sometimes God will even use the people that are your enemy to bless you. Sometimes God will even use the people that you don't expect to provide for you. There will be, you know, if if you're looking for perfect people to provide for you, then you might miss what God has for you. So here's David with Goliath's sword, his family being taken care of in enemy land Moab, and he and his soldiers, his, his men warriors, these outcasts become soldiers, are now living together in the land of Gath. So here's what happens. We're going to wrap it up with this and then we're going to kind of walk away with some some big ideas from the running man. In 1 Samuel chapter 28, the Philistines who's still at war with Israel, they say, today's the day. We're going to attack. We're going to kill. We're going to take down Saul. We're going to take down his army. But this time, David is fighting alongside the Philistines. So they go into battle. When Saul 
saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Urim was the stones that they used to seek the Lord. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium or a witch, so that I may go and inquire of her. There's one in Endor. This is where you've maybe heard of the phrase, the witch of Endor. This is the woman. It was against the law to be a witch, so she had to be out of the country. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes. And at night, he and two uh, men went to consult the witch. He says, consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. What happens is this woman, in fear for her life, because it's against the law to be a witch, Saul in disguise says, don't worry, I will make sure that nothing happens. She says, who do you want? He says, the prophet Samuel. So she calls forth the prophet Samuel and she begins to scream. She's overcome by, by, by spiritual attack and she begins to scream. She says, why are you doing this to me? You brought me here to kill me. And all of a sudden Samuel shows up and says, Saul, <laughs> why are you calling me back from the dead? I'll see you tomorrow. So at this point, Saul is totally freaked out. And he goes back home and he doesn't want to eat. He doesn't want to sleep, as you might imagine. Once a man on the Lord's way, he now seeks demonic ways. And after 30 years of insanity, his reign is about to come to an end. On the day of the attack, the Philistines and David and his men are are all ready to march. And all of a sudden, the Philistines start getting nervous that David and his men will turn on them. And they send them all home. Hey, that's fine because I don't think David really wanted to attack his own people. So David's going back to his little town of Ziklag. And when he gets there, he finds that a local neighboring enemy, while he was gone, took advantage of all the men being gone. And they burned David and his men's town down to the ground. And they took every wife and every child and dragged them off as slaves. You can imagine the heart of David. It was burned to the ground. They were devastated. And this is what it says in verse 4. It says, So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. All these men, they now want David dead. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. See, David was always a running man. The Bible says that David was a man after, a man who chased, a man who ran, a man after God's own heart. See, David never stopped running. Because this time he could only run to one person. That was the Lord. He then rallies the men and they leave to rescue the families. And next week, Sean's going to pick it up right there. You're going to see the final fall of Saul and the rise of King David. And you're going to see what happens if they are able to rescue their family from this enemy that stole them. So what can we learn from this man on the run? I want to, first of all, say maybe you are a man or a woman on the run. Maybe you feel like you're on the treadmill and you just, everything just go, 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 go. I mean, it's work, it's, it's events, it's, it's home, it's school, it's go, go, go. It's even church, man. Everything is just like just running, 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 running. Go, 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 go. You, when do you get to breathe? 
when you get to stop, even when you have an experience that is great, it, at the, immediately at the end, it's go, 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 go. You never get a chance. to. Some of you feel like your life is just a constant marathon. Some of you in this room feel like David, and no matter where you go, no matter what you do, it seems like life is against you, and you can't seem to catch a break. What do you do when you're the running man, when you're the running woman? What can we learn from this man on the run? Well, here's the first thing. A few things we're going to pray. And this first thing is on the run, praise was continually on his lips. One thing you find about David is that a large part of the Psalms that we read in the Bible, these beautiful Psalms of God's faithfulness and deliverance and the heartache of of David and then his trust in the Lord, they were all written during times of David's trials, most of them. And half of them were written during this eight-year time of running and waiting. And we find that David, even in the midst of running for his life, always had praise. On his lips, these psalms that he wrote about deliverance and God's faithfulness, great psalms about the Messiah were written during this time that talk of Jesus in his coming, written by David during times of running. Here's one of them in Psalm 34. This was written right after he pretended to be insane. Remember, and they let it, they caught him and he acted like he was crazy and let him go. This is the psalm he wrote. He says, I exalt, I extol, that means it's kind of like lift up. I extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be in my lips. Remember, this is a running man psalm. He says, I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Man, this is the psalm of a man who's on the run. He wrote that when he was running. Here's another thing that we can learn from the man on the run. is On the run, loyalty was consistent in his life. Saul made rash decisions and promises he could not, did not keep. He was easily influenced by others' opinions. He doubted those that were close to him because he lacked his own loyalty. And he did not stand up for his men. But David, in reverse, did just the opposite. He never spoke evil of Saul. He never planned evil against Saul. He never hurt him. He was loyal to all those that followed him. And he kept his vows to Jonathan and those that he was in relationship with. Guys, listen, because you're on the run, it doesn't mean that you have the right to be unfaithful to the people in your life. I know guys who, uh, who their life is crazy. They're exalted. I mean, uh, exhausted. They're tired and they feel like that's some sort of permission to have an affair. Well, I'm just tired. I just need some sort of relief. No, on the run, you need to be loyal to your wife. You need to be loyal to your kids. You need to be loyal at work. You need to be loyal to your church, to your relationships. Just because you're on the run doesn't mean that you are not called to be loyal to the relationships and the commitments in your life. On the run, this is what else we learned. Family was cared for and provided for. David, in the face of his run, called for his family and made sure that they were taken care of. See, regardless of your situation, you're called to stand up for your family. So you guys, I'm just so busy. I don't have time to hang out with my kids. No, because you're busy, you need that time with your kids. You know what I find with my family is when I'm on the run, because I'm a running man. 
I feel like I, you know, I'm kind of hyper. I got a lot of uh, uh, um, hyperactivity, you know. I think I have ADD, but I don't think. I think I'm just hyper. Uh, so I can go like all day on like on an empty tank. I'm like, you know. And uh, you know, you know what, you know what refreshes, inspires me the most? Just sitting with my wife and kids. You know, some of you, you just need to sit down. You need to have dinner with your family. You watch a movie with your kids. You go have some fun. Just 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever it is. You need to be with your family because on the run, family has got to be cared and provided for, and it's refreshing to you. Here's the next thing is on the run, uh, we learned from David that compassion and justice guided him. David gathered, welcomed, and protected those lowly in heart and risked his life to fight for and protect the innocent. And I love this because maybe this actually gives you a sense of what you need to stop running for and what you need to start running for. Some of you guys, you're running and you're running and you're like, you're doing, you're saying yes to everybody except those that are really who God's called you to be compassionate and caring to give your time to. Uh, We find in, in 1 Samuel 30 that while on the run, he finds a lonely, homeless, hungry, sick foreigner who is left for dead. Actually, we have a whole bunch of those people on our border. And David finds him, and he cares for him, and he feeds him, and he tends him, and he helps him. You see, you see in David the character of Jesus. Because on the run, compassion and justice always guided his decisions. Here's the next thing, that on the run, forgiveness was established in his heart. David consistently forgave and consistently gave over his his anxiety over to the Lord. Those who were trying to always bring him down, and this was freedom for his soul. Some of you guys, you want to know, how can I get this burden, this weight? Man, I feel like I'm running. It feels like everything, every weight is on me. Well, search your heart. Do you have unforgiveness in your heart? Because David never let anger, malice, bitterness, rage, or anything control him. That was Saul's problem. David lived the reverse. He lived in freedom. He lived with forgiveness. Forgiveness was established in his heart. And here's the last thing. Is it on the run? Trusting the Lord was his daily peace. Some of you guys, you don't, you don't see an end to your marathon anytime soon because you have commitments at work. You have commitments at home. You have commitments that you have already signed up for. That you have, and you see that race, you see that run, and you wonder, God, I don't know if I have another five months, six months, or one, or a week. God, I'm exhausted. I feel like nothing is going my way. And when I do the right thing, it seems like something else is coming against me. Well, David found that his daily, his daily peace was trusting in the Lord. And every day we see this, this image, we see it in the Psalms, we see it in his actions that David sought the Lord. David gave it over to the Lord. He didn't, he didn't kick the chairs over and didn't shout at his family and say, Oh, God help me. He said, God help me. He trusted the Lord. And that, was his peace. We see this in Samuel 30, verse 6. When he came back and his whole family was gone and all of his friends wanted to kill him, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him because of this. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters. They were all gone. But David found strength in the Lord his God. When his life fell apart, when Samuel was dead, his spiritual mentor, 
when Jonathan was gone, and by the way, he didn't realize it, but that was the same day that Jonathan died. His best friend gone. His wife and his family dragged off. Who knows what's happening to them? His friends all hate him. David ran to the Lord. He was a running man. I want to end with a psalm of trust from David while on the run. Psalm 61, written while on the run. A few verses. It says, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He's talking of Jesus, the Messiah. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Jesus was that rock. He said, God, if I could just be with you In the shelter of your presence, I'll have peace. Maybe this is you today. Maybe you feel just like David. Maybe you're running and running. Maybe you see it starting to happen. Will you take comfort in the running man himself and do the greatest journey on foot you'll ever make, and that is to the feet of Jesus. And find your peace and your strength in trusting the Lord. Let me pray for you. Dear God, thank you that in our running, we can find you. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave us a story called the prodigal. And and in that story, you give us a picture of the only picture in the entire Bible of God running. And it's God running to us when we move towards you. So, Father, as as our heads are bowed, God, we're tired. Some of us in this room, we're really tired. We're beating the wind. It's been a busy summer. It doesn't look like there's signs of it slowing down. God, help us to focus on what's important. Help us to remain loyal and, and get committed and close and to our family and to those relationships that are important and let compassion and tenderness guide our actions. And Father, let us run to you. If you're here right now today and you need to run to Jesus, will you take that step right now and just say, Jesus, here's my life. You're the rock of refuge that David was calling out to, the Messiah that he that he prophesied about. It's you, Jesus. And now we know you by name and we can call you by name. He knew you as the rock. We know you as Jesus. He knew you as a fortress. We know you as Jesus. He knew you as his strength. We now know you. Your name is Jesus. Call out to him right now, will you? Will you call out to him? Jesus, thank you for your gift of peace and life and hope. God, I pray that as we turn to you and turn from ourself, God, as we acknowledge that we were wrong and that you're right, Father, and we acknowledge that we have problems, but you're the solution, God. God, when we see that you are the answer, that the cross was the solution, Lord, I pray that we would find the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. We'll take control in our running life. In Jesus' name.
I want to encourage you guys, if you need to talk to somebody or like to talk more about this, or maybe you need prayer, maybe you feel beat and exhausted and you're running, and the hope of the Lord is powerful. And we have people here that would love to talk to you and pray with you. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.